moving our way through. Things are moving along. Man's been created. He's been thrown out of the garden. Things have progressed to past the flood. Israel's becoming a nation. And Jacob just moves his family to Egypt. Now, chapter 47 is them uh, showing up here um, as the family settles in Goshen. And lots of powerful things in every chapter. And I'm just going to pray that God blesses the word so we don't miss anything. You know, you can read scripture over and over again and every time get something fresh. It's fresh bread, amen. It's not stale old history. And that's because the Holy Spirit opens it up to us. So let's Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do just that tonight. Father, we thank you that your word is living word, that we don't just read history books and blow the dust off it and read the same thing over and over, but it's living, breathing revelation from Genesis to the book of Revelation. You reveal Jesus Christ in every part of the scripture. Holy Spirit, we ask that you open up our hearts, you open up our ears, and you open up the eyes of our understanding so that we can drink in the principles of God and Father, we don't want to just hear them, but we want to do them. So prepare our hearts for action tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Sister Kim is going to come and read chapter 47. Uh, and then we're going to break it down together. Genesis 47. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen, and if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock." Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the, gain, for the grain which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. 
So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When the year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. Verse 20. So Joseph, brought, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his fields because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the, at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now, e now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. We start in verse 1. Joseph is thrilled to be reunited with his father, his brothers, and especially Benjamin. It's a dream come true for him. Being separated from his family was a painful thing. It was painful for Jacob, and now there's restoration taking place. He meets them in Goshen. He gets them settled in, and he reports to Pharaoh that his family has arrived. Now, realize Joseph is in charge of everything, but he still has to answer to Pharaoh. Amen. Nobody should be charge of everything and answer to nobody. That leads to trouble. So he meets his family, settles them in. He tells his boss that they've arrived. Now, second in command is a great position, but he still has to answer, and that's to Pharaoh, and so he comes to him. Now, that's healthy that there's accountability there, and that's healthy that he has to answer, and it's also biblical. It's biblical for all of us to have some sort of accountability so we insulate ourselves from trouble. Amen? 
And, you know, we see this principle here, even operating in a worldly kingdom. Uh, I don't know who Pharaoh answers to, but Pharaoh's got in trouble if you study history. And anytime any leader has no one to answer to, there's always trouble. We have checks and balances in our government. And supposedly that is supposed to restrain the political class from destroying the people. Supposed to. We see when that gets out of balance, trouble starts. So it's biblical to have oversight. Romans 13.1 says this, Let every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained, ordained of God. So, you know, let every soul be subject to higher powers. It's good for us to have hierarchies and structure and accountability, and we need to build that into our lives. Amen. You know, there comes a time when you get older, you get more successful, you become more financially independent. You, you know, you, you, you get older to the point where it's almost you become a teenager again. Now you know everything. And you don't want to listen to anybody anymore. That's a dangerous place to be. Amen. You see how life is cyclical. After a teenager, you're going to wear Depends again and you're going to become a baby again. Okay, let's not go there for tonight, but I'm just trying to close the circle on you here. What happens when God-ordained powers become wicked? Government is an institution ordained by God, and sometimes governments become wicked. When man's law clashes with God's law, we're expected to obey God. That's right. Let me say that again because some Christians are confused. They think if they pass a law, then that's what we can do. When God's law clashes with man's law, we are to obey God. If the government says you can't have more than one baby, you got to abort that. No, we got to obey God. When, when the government says, well, now this drug is legal, doesn't mean Christians can go around getting high and it's okay with God. Okay, when man's law clashes with God's law, amen, we obey God. Let's try it again. When man's law clashes with God's law. Oh, that sounded nice. Keep that on the tape. So, you know, he's got someone to answer to, and that's a good thing, and it insulates him, and it insulates us. Verse 2, we see Joseph is a little bit nervous to present his family to Pharaoh. He's already prepped them on what to say and what not to say. We're going to see that a little bit. He's very exacting about who he allows to meet him. Notice, he's got a whole bunch of brothers, but it says here in verse 2 that he selects five, right? So some brothers got left out of the mix. You know, every family has a couple wingnuts. Come on. If you're not smiling, it's you. And he, he picked five. You know, he didn't pick the ones that had no social graces or the one that had no filter. You know that person in your family that has no filter? Come on, stop looking so holy out there. I know, we're all from dysfunction. and He picks five. He selects them. You know... Some people have no social graces, no filters, no class, no culture. It, he's very exacting here. And I think I can almost sense in the text as I mull through it that he's a little bit nervous about this presentation. It's like the Beverly Hills hillbillies coming, you know, to meet Pharaoh. And he's just, there's something about, these guys threw me in a pit. I don't know them too well since then. I hope they've gotten better, but I'm not sure. So... He picks the five and he brings them before him. Now, verses three and four, immediately, Pharaoh wants to know, you know, what, what their occupation is. And, and look what he says. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds. Now, he prepped them on this. He, he said, you know, you know, you're keepers of livestock, your herdsmen, your shepherds. It was a loathsome 
occupation in Egypt for whatever reason. So, you know, it's a soft sell here. They're, they're trying to, you know, just not push it too much, but they're being honest about who they are and what they do. They brought an amazing amount of livestock with them, so it'd be hard to say, you know, we're bakers. But here they are, and they got their herds, and, you know, Joe prepped them for the answer. But look at Pharaoh. The first question he asked him, not how was your trip, not, you know, you know what are your names? What do you do? And you see, there's something that's revealed about him here. Pharaoh is concerned about who he allows into Egypt. Yes. Pharaoh's concerned about who he lets in his country. He wants producers. What do you do? Oh, we don't do anything. We were hoping you'd support us. <laughs> Load up the carts, back to Canaan. You don't work, you don't eat. Wouldn't that solve a lot of things? The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? Thin the population out a little bit? Get people, you know, uh, you know oh, my, I can't work my shoulder, it hurts. Get hungry enough, you use the other shoulder. <sighs> Pastor Rick. So he prepped him for the question. You know, we're all shepherds. He wants to know, am I getting some producers here? Pharaoh likes the fact that they've come. They're, they have wealth. They have increased. They're obviously good at what they do. They got the herd from Canaan to there. It's still alive. So he's got producers and not moochers. And his question's answered. And there again, we're seeing, you know, he's, he's accepting of them, even though that profession is not the desired thing. Verse 4 this, they describe the severity of the, fam, the famine in Canaan. Now, Pharaoh knows this, but they're given an explanation of why they're there. The fact that their flocks have no grazing pasture is a, a real serious thing because that's their livelihood, that's their wealth. You don't feed cattle, you don't water cattle, cattle dies, and then eventually you die. Yeah. Okay, if there's no pasture, that means there's no grain for you to eat. So the cattle is the last line of defense, and they're like, you know, we have no grazing pasture. That's as dire as it gets. That's the first stage before death. Now, they humbly request refuge in Egypt. So these guys are humble, and they know they need Pharaoh to take them in, or they're done. Uh, many times God allows us to get in difficult situations so we can be humble. And I know how much all of us like to be humbled. The thing is, the more we resist being humbled, the more aggressively God will humble us. These guys did some pretty bad things to Joseph. Now they've bowed to him over and over again, like the prophecy said. And now they're before his boss, basically begging, please take us in with all our cattle. Now, it is a dire situation, and it calls for humility, and they bring it. So verse 5 and 6 chronicles Pharaoh's response to Joseph's brother's request for refuge. They want refuge. They want to be taken in. He tells Joseph, give them the best of the land and appoint them rulers over my cattle. Yeah, wow, that's what I was thinking. Say it again. Wow. Say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> wow, Charles, they just got invited in, and they didn't get, like, you know, the worst part. You can go in this desert yeah. piece. They got the best spot, and they said, well, are you guys capable? Looks like you're good shepherds. Why don't you be in charge of my cattle? Wow, favor. Remember I said favor is more important than wealth. Favor is more important than intelligence. Favor, it didn't matter how smart they were. It didn't matter how much money they had. They were getting favor now from the only man that really could help them because he's the only one who had the grain because of Joseph. So there's favor there. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing here to see them. 
you know, get it here, and it's the hand of God. It's not because of them. It's because of God and because of God's plan. He said, make them rulers over my cattle. So Pharaoh gives them the best spot. He puts them in charge. They're not going to have to deal with the Egyptian cattlemen fighting with them over wells. Remember how Abraham and Isaac, they always had a fight for grazing and watering. In Egypt, they get deluxe accommodations welcomed with open arms. Verses 7 through 10, after the brothers meet and greet with Pharaoh, Jacob is brought in before him. Now, Jacob comes into Pharaoh's presence, and immediately it says that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Now, there again, someone who is, you know, not humble or religious would think, I'm not blessing this guy, this heathen king, you know, and, and, and just, you know, well, I'm Jacob. No, he's humble. You know, and there again, being stripped down to nothing and hungry will humble you. Hopefully, we don't have to get to that place to be humble, but he blesses Pharaoh. Now, some people might even have, you know, theological problems with that. Don't bless him. But Jacob does. And it shows, you know, give honor to whom honor is due. Respect the office. Come on, I'm talking to a culture that doesn't have any respect for anything. We've got our athletes going abroad in foreign countries stepping on our flag. And it's disgusting. And I want to tell you, we need to get humble in our nation again. We need to be thankful again. We need to get rid of this arrogance and this entitlement. And we need to be grateful and give honor to whom honor is due. <laughs> this culture wants to honor no one but themselves. Pharaoh is there. He's a heathen king. Jacob humbles himself and he blesses him with humility and gratitude. He's grateful that his family won't starve to death. And he lets Pharaoh know. Now, Ungrateful and arrogant people repulse favor. Humble people attract favor. Who do we want to be? We want to be attractive. Look at your neighbor and say, you're attractive. Come on, say it in faith if you got to. You're attractive. Calling those things which be not as though they were, like Romans. Come on. Oh, we're having fun on Wednesday night. And so... We want to be humble and we want to attract favor, and Jacob does. Now, Pharaoh's first question for Jacob is this How old are you? Now, I don't know what Jacob was looking like at this point. You know, if he looked like a raisin or a Yoda, I don't know. But Pharaoh, again, he gets right down to it. You know, to the, to the boys, what's your job? What do you do? To, he sees Jacob and he's like, How old are you? <laughs> Jacob tells him, I'm 130. Whoa! I was going to ask if anyone wants to live to 130, but I'm not even going to ask. Because, you know what? Take me home, sweet Jesus. 130. Pharaoh is definitely, you know, uh, interested in, in this guy's, you know, pedigree and where he's from and how old he is. And he looks at him and he's just kind of astonished. I'm 130 years old. Then Jacob goes on. Listen to what Jacob says here. Now, he's honored him and he's humble before him. But listen to this. I'm 130 years old. And he says, life hasn't been easy for me. And I haven't fared well like my fathers did. And, and life has been hard. And he goes on and on. He's complaining. It's biblical. Old people are supposed to complain. <laughs> Can you imagine getting in front of the leader of the free world and you start telling him how hard your life was? It's going to be okay. So he, he kind of just tells him, my life hasn't been easy. You know, I haven't fared as well as my father's before me. And he just kind of gives him a little synopsis of his life there. You know, it's kind of interesting. You never, this is how Jacob viewed his life. You know, we read through it and we don't catch all this, but he, he had gone through a lot of hardship. Yes. 
he was bereaved of his children. He did lose his, you know, his wife and, you know, all of these things when, you know, when Joseph went, that really, you know, had an impact on him. So he's, in his estimation, he's had a hard life. His life hasn't been as good as his father Isaac or as Abraham. He's, he's had a hard go of it here. And uh, the, uh, of course, you know, uh, being starved to death in a famine's no way to end his life. And so this is a great opportunity for him to come in and just, you know, have a good ending to his life. And we're going to see that God gives him a gracious ending to his life. And uh, when he's done in verse 10, telling his little story and telling about his life and saying how old he is, he blesses Pharaoh again. So I want you to see that he bookends his whole interaction with Pharaoh with blessing and blessing. It's a good principle for us, amen? It's a good principle for us. We should be, you know, kind and blessing and gentle with people. And we should always just bookend everything we do with grace and humility. And we see some of that in Jacob. Now remember, Jacob was a usurper and he, he's come a long way now that he's Israel. His character has changed quite a bit and we should see that in him. So everyone's good. They're tucked in Goshen. They had the meet and greet with the brothers and they kept the wing nuts out of the room. Pharaoh let it go. They're going to be shepherds. He meets the father. Everything goes okay with that. Now in verse uh, 12, 11 and 12, uh, we see that Joseph puts his, his family in a place that they can be sustained. He takes care of them there in Goshen. So the people of God are safely tucked in. Now, Verses 13 through 26 are going to show that the famine causes a couple things to happen. Now, you could read through this and miss it, but I want, I want you to catch this. The famine causes a couple things. Number one is a great wealth redistribution. You're going to see the wealth of, is, the wealth of Egypt and Canaan are transferred into Pharaoh's house. Now, you know, wealth redistribution is an interesting concept that there again, some in our government talk about, take from this guy and give, wealth redistribution. Now, this is not done by the government. This is done by the hand of God. This is divine wealth redistribution. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. What is happening here is that God is collecting wealth and bringing it into Pharaoh's house. For what purpose? To fatten up Pharaoh? No, because he's going to make Israel a great nation there. And they're going to, pr they're going to prosper so wildly. And when they go out, they're going to go out with wealth. I want you to see this. This transfer of wealth is for a divine purpose, and that is to make Israel a great nation. The second thing that happens here is there's a significant geographic and demographic shift. You're going to see that when things are coming unglued here, they move people out of the cities, they move people into the countries, they're shifting things around. What's that all about? Israel is going to take root in there. This little, you know, fledgling nation is going to explode numerically. They need places to be. Economic transfer, wealth transfer, demographic changes. The cities are going to get smaller, the rural areas are going to get bigger, and the demographics are going to change. Geographical moves for different people and shifts in Egypt, and all of this is orchestrated by the hand of God. Realize what God's doing. He said, I'm bringing you into Egypt to make you a great nation. All of these things that are happening, that what I'm going to read to you for the rest of the chapter is pretty much God orchestrating just exactly what he said. Now, five years into the famine, verses 13 and 14, the people have spent all of their money. Where did it go? They were buying grain from Pharaoh. Why did Pharaoh have grain? Because Joseph had a, was able to interpret the dream and give him the prophetic insight. So listen, Joseph's stock is rising every day. 
as Pharaoh's looking at this guy and his house just keeps increasing. Now, Pharaoh might think it's for him, but it's not for him. It's for the people of God. But the people have no more money left. They spent it all on food. And so there's an economic shift right there. You know, when the people have no money and Pharaoh has it all, that's an interesting situation. Verses 15 and 17, all the money's gone. So Joseph tells them, you know, oh, we'll just feed you from here on out. We'll take care of you. That's not what it says, does it? It says, give me your cattle. Ouch. Does that sting a little? You got no more money? Well, how about that cattle? How about that, them goats? How about them horses? How about those cows? We'll take those in exchange for grain. So there again, more of an economic shift, more uh, of, of the money of the people is being brought into the house of Pharaoh. And you might look at it and go, Joseph, you know, this is not, you know, this is kind of selfish. You're, you're kicking people when they're down. But there again, the prophetic insight here, it's for a purpose. And uh, Joseph effectuates it and the people give it. In verses 18 and 19, the people say, you've got all our wealth. All that's left is our bodies and our land. Did you check that out? In verses 18 and 19, I mean, think about that. They gave all their money. They gave all their cattle. And, you know, the people are just kind of frank with them here. And, you know, they say, when the year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and that our cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for the Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land, buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So the people are at the end of their rope. They've given all their money, they've given all their cattle, and they just say all that's left are our bodies, our freedom. You know, people can loan themselves out as indentured servants or slaves or serve a master. Why? Because they had no means. And so they're basically saying, we're going to serve you and you can have all our land. Wow. Transfer of wealth, a transfer of land ownership. There again, God making room for his people. This little flock of Israelites is going to explode into multiplied millions. Wow. And so Joseph is agreeable to that. The people ask for some very basic things. Um, you know, they, they basically sell themselves in their real estate for food. And it's a matter of, you know, real estate is worthless if you're dead from hunger. Right. <laughs> and freedom is the last thing a person has. And if you're dead from hunger, that's also pretty worthless too. Dead men don't worry about freedom or taxes. The people ask for seed to sow crops, to restore the land when it becomes tillable again so that it won't become desolate. You know, in some ways, this is a really sad situation for the people of Egypt and Canaan. And, you know, our hearts go out to people when they're in need. But there again, God has a bigger purpose behind all this. It's a divine purpose. And all of these things that we looked at that just took place happened uh, on purpose. They weren't an accident. Now, in verse 20, because of... Joseph, Pharaoh has just, you know, increased in his wealth and his power and, and in his land holdings in such a way that really Joseph's stock is through the roof. God's people will soon benefit from what's happened here. And, you know, it might look like, you know, Pharaoh's getting blessed. 
But really, you know, we know the end of the story and how that works out. Let me just say something. Sometimes God blesses others to bless you. Amen. Sometimes God blesses others. God bless me. God bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Give it to me, 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 me. And God says, no, I'm going to bless the people around you, and they're going to have favor, and they're going to increase you. Sometimes God blesses others to bless you. Sometimes the company grows so you can get promoted. Sometimes the sale goes through so you can get a bonus. Hello? Sometimes God blesses others to bless you. Now, I want you to go on Monday, go to your boss and tell him, you're blessed because of me. Because if you're a child of God and you work in a company and you have the favor of God in your life and you're keeping your life on the straight and narrow and you're not pursuing sin, but you're pursuing God and you're giving and you're tithing and you're serving, God has no choice but to bless you, amen? And wherever he's planted you, he'll bless you. There have been times that I've been at companies that were prospering and I'm telling you, God said to me, the only reason they're prospering is because I'm blessing you. And I remember leaving those places and the place falling apart. I remember being in one place where I had this manager who was an affliction to me, and he would just torment me. And you know what? When God promoted me and I left there, I actually went from that job into the ministry. Within two weeks, he was fired. They caught him stealing. And I said, Lord, where were you two years ago? He's like, I was using him to polish you. To which I answered, Thanks. But sometimes God blesses others to bless you, and I want you to know that. Uh, All of this is because of God birthing a nation. Joseph understands it more than anyone else. He's like, don't blame yourself, guys. This was God. You know, Pharaoh doesn't quite understand it. All he knows is, oh my goodness, this guy is awesome. He's like the goose that laid the golden egg. And Joseph's stock is just through the roof. He's got all the money, all the cattle, all the land, and all the people serving him. Verse 21, people are removed from the cities. Remember I said there would be a demographic shift. And you see the demographic shift take place here. It says, as for the people, he removed them from the cities, from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off all of the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Let's just stop there. The demographic shift taking place, moving them out of the urban areas. Why eventually, you know, Israel's going to populate these things. He's making a space for his people. I want you to see that. We don't get to see exactly how all that works out, but we're going to see the finished product. Um, Also, there's a note here about the priests in verse 22. They were able to keep their land. Now, these weren't the priests of the Lord. These were, you know, the magicians and the soothsayers and the, the, the seers and all of these guys. You remember that group of people that couldn't interpret Pharaoh's dream? Yeah, the spiritual guys with blind eyes. And so, you know, I guess they didn't like, they didn't tax the priests or they didn't, you know, they, they fed the priests. They were on payroll. And I want to say something about that. Listen to me. When any, anytime the state controls the religious sector, that's a bad thing. State controlled religion is an abomination. 
You see it in Germany when they controlled the Lutheran church and the Lutheran church became the church of Germany. You study that a little bit and see how the doctrine and everything slid to the point where the Lutheran ministers were so, you know, under the thumb of the government when Nazism rose, most of them were silent. State-controlled religion is an abomination. And I'll tell you why. Because the only spirituality that counts is what God controls. You and I don't serve man. You and I are not under the thumb of governments. You and I are not under the thumb of men. <laughs> I wish we had some Christians in here. We got all sheep? Mm, Pastor Rick can turn it up a few notches. I might scare you. But I want you to understand something. We serve the living God. And when God's laws and man's laws clash, we're to obey God. Now, Understand something, Pharaoh fed the priests. They were on the payroll. Listen to me, anybody who feeds you and sustains you can also cut you off and starve you. If your source is man, you're at the mercy of man. Man, you're quiet tonight. I think I might throw this, let me see. <laughs> Wonder how many rows I can get it back. Understand some things, there's always evil forces that wanna control the church. There's always secular forces that are controlled by Satan. They're demonic that want to suppress the church. There'll always be those who say the church has no voice in the state. The church has no voice in the public sector. And all those things are a lie. And if you bow to them, you're a fool because God's called us to be salt and light in this dark earth. Amen. So we've got to speak up. Pharaoh controlled the priests. They were his priests, bought and paid for. He fed them, and at this time it worked out good for them. Because they were on his payroll, he didn't take their stuff. So these guys that couldn't interpret a dream, I guess, you know, things went well for them. Um, understand, uh, we never want to be controlled by men. We want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So the priests are good, verses 23 and 26. Even though the people have suffered such economic devastation, their wealth and their land and their cattle is all Pharaoh's now. They are servants to him. They are still thankful to Joseph. It's just amazing to me in these verses, like, you know, I mean, maybe they just didn't include the people who are the complainers here, but, you know, they really seem to have a, a tender attitude. Then Joseph said to the people in verse 23, Behold, I have today bought you in the land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow in the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed, and for the field, and for your food, and for those in your household, as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Look at this. They're not mad. They don't feel fleeced. They're not, they, they had no sense of entitlement. They, they don't demand more. They're like thankful. What a concept. Yeah, we're alive here. You know, so he gives them what they want. He gives them the seed. You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in your sight, O oh my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph made a statue concerning the land of Egypt uh, valid to that, to that day that Pharaoh should have the fifth of one of the lands of the priest did not have to come to Pharaoh. So the law that they made is that a fifth of the crop, a fifth of what they had, had to be given to uh, Pharaoh. So now a fifth is 20%. I'm not good at math. Is that, that sound about right? Okay, God only asked for 20%, uh, 10% in the tithe. Pharaoh wants 20. 
and, and it's the law of the land. So it's the way that they're redeeming themselves back because he sustained them. There again, is it fair? Is it right? Is it twice as much as God asked for? I mean, we can argue about that all day long, but it is what it is. It's the law in Egypt and the stamp is there. They're again trading more revenue into the coffers of Pharaoh. Um, Joseph's family here is now safe. Uh, the, the fifth is brought in. There's room now for them to prosper wildly. Um, in verse 27, it says, and they had possessions there, talking about uh, his family here, this little enclave of you know, God's people. And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. That's an understatement. We're going to see that they multiply and prosper so greatly that at some point they are a threat to Pharaoh. And it'll be a different Pharaoh at that point when they, you know, when, when things come unglued. But understand God has made room for them and they begin to prosper immediately. When God is with you, you can prosper even in a famine. But if God is against you and you say, oh, don't say that. You know what? When we're in sin or when we reject Jesus Christ or when we want to do things our own way, God resists us. When God's with you, you can prosper in a famine. When God is against you, you can starve at a banquet. I want you to think about that. Having the favor of God on our lives is the most important asset we can ever have. If you and I are not right with him, we need to stop everything. Oh, I got to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to pursue this. I gotta, I, when I get older, when I retire, I'll get right with God. No, don't wait. Get right now because you and I can afford to be out of step with God. With him, you can prosper in a famine. Without him, you could starve at a banquet. Verse 28 tells us that Jacob lived 17 years in Egypt. So he came there when he was 130. He lived there 17 years. He's going to live a grand total of 147 years. There again, that's like, you know, a lot of years. And I can't imagine he looked old when he rolled into the place. I, I, I'm telling you, I wish we had a picture Bible. And it would be so fun. So 147, that's a pretty good stretch. Now, as he's getting close to the time where he's going to die, you know, verse 29 through 30 tells us that Jacob makes Joseph swear an oath to him not to bury him in Egypt. Did you hear what he said to Pharaoh when he showed, showed up there? That they said, we're here to sojourn. Yes. They didn't come to stay there. Sojourning means, you know, you're passing through. They never wanted to lose a, a sense of their own national identity or their own identity. They, they never wanted to be Egyptians. Right. Huh. They were just sojourning there. So it is so much part of Jacob's heart that they're not to be Egyptians and stay in Egypt that when he dies, he doesn't want his body, his bones left in Egypt. And he makes his son, you know, Joseph, the one son that he really can trust in a pinch, he makes him swear an oath. And, you know, it says here that he, he's to put his hand under his thigh. It's the way they seal the oath. I don't know how that worked or, you know, I don't even want to start doing that, but you had to st stick your hand under the thigh. And I mean, I guess that was like, you know, I double dog dare you. I don't know, but it was serious. When you, you, when you had to do that, that, you know, that means, you know, this is a big deal. And he swears to him. He's like, Dad, 
I, I swear to you, you're not going to be buried here. You're not going to stay here. We'll take you out and we'll bury you with your father. So he wanted to be buried with Isaac and Abraham. He wanted to be buried in a place that was not Egypt. And he makes his son swear that. Now, when his son agrees to that, there again, for one last time, he bows to Joseph, fulfilling the prophecy over and over again. What did he say? I saw you guys bow to me. And nobody believed him, not even Jacob. Yet here at the conclusion of his life, he bows one more time to his son. God completes his word. No matter how much we don't like it or it doesn't sound right to us, when God says it, he does it. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we just thank you tonight for this study and all the principles here. And uh, Father, there are many things we can apply to our daily living. And Father, help us to be humble people. Help us to give honor where honor is due. Help us to respect the, the, the offices and the ruling authorities that you've put in place. But Father, don't allow us to become sheep, that we would just follow the whims of the world and the laws of men, and we would just think, well, it's legal, so I can do it. No, we answer to a higher authority. Help us not to be sheep, but to be those who are salt and light in the earth. We're not here to get along and make everybody happy and say what people want to hear, but we have to stand up and hold up the standard so that some could be saved. Father, I thank you tonight that you took such good care of you people. You did impossible things to establish the nation of Israel. Father, I know that you are just as committed to your church and you're still committed to Israel, Lord, and that you still sustain both the church and Israel. Father, help us to see with spiritual eyes what's going on in the nations now, what's going on in our own nation. Father, help us to see biblical prophecy unfold before our eyes so that we can be ready for your coming. Ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.